from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. We take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm Evan Eberker. And Ben, it's good to be back together. Oh my gosh, I missed you so much. This just feels so comfortable, familiar, that intro. It felt good, rolling off the tongue, all those things. Yeah, it really did. You guys, amazing. We're joined today by the Spencer Schauber and uh, the Bo Stern. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm great. <laughs> now, no one can see this, but they're sitting on the opposite side of the table staring at each other. I feel like we're going to ref, referee some kind of smackdown yeah, here. Go. What do you guys disagree about? Let's talk about that the whole time. What, do I, what are I some topics about? that you guys disagree about? Yeah, you're on <sighs> different sides of the political spectrum. Anything like that we can talk about for a half hour? And no, I think we're pretty much on the everybody? same side. Yeah, I think we'd be arguing I think about... he likes Kanye more than I do. That's Ooh, probably true, that's but you, you were dropping knowledge about 808s and heartbreaks that I was very impressed by. She just... You know, Sometimes. got into the deep Where cuts do you get your track. Kanye knowledge from, Bo? Running. Just running playlists. Oh. That's all I know anything about. I listen to terrible, terrible music <laughs> when I run. That's all I know. Yeah, you kind of need that good pump-up energy. <laughs> There's you know? no hill song for me when I run. I'll die. There's no way. It's got to be like Eminem is my favorite, but I, it has I like to be very... If you're running, you're allowed. <clears throat> I, I worry about Spencer because he's just sitting at home listening to that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Pray for me. Actually, we've been listening to Fleetwood Mac greatest oh, hits on our right here. Yeah. Also, uh, Leon Bridges. You know, so. I don't know Leon Bridges. You guys need to educate me on music. We will next time on Behind the Message. <laughs> it was a great podcast today, guys. Good job. <laughs> Just kidding. That's the I'm not going there yet. <laughs> so we're really on topic today, but uh, you guys spoke this past weekend, and we did something interesting that we've been doing. I think, Bo, you first introduced uh, our kind of team to this, of splitting the weekend and splitting the Sunday messages and services uh, between yourself and another speaker. Yeah, I actually proposed we speak every other word, like <laughs> to the whole message, but Pastor Steve didn't like it. So because yeah, you guys well, complete each other's that's sandwiches. Oh, uh, that's right. Frozen. That's what I was going to say. Actually, all that happened is Bo kept saying words, and I just kept saying and and <laughs> and. It worked great. Yes, we've been doing this where we take it. Uh, one speaker plans the message with a speaker who hasn't had as much experience, and we do the message together, plan it together. We do the kind of the skeleton of the message the same and then we each add the stories and this meat to the bones that we feel comfortable with mm. and so we met probably three or four times on this message to plan it going in and then spencer did two messages and i did two since we have four on the weekend mm-hmm. how do you choose which uh services to do who who does what oh uh, uh we choose by a uh, decision so <laughs> Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it, it just was says, like, hey, do you want to do these What services should I do? <laughs> yeah, and then that's how we ended up on that. Actually, Amelia, our service producer, has a big say in that because she has her finger on how who's done it at other services, and we mm-hmm. don't want one service to feel like they're always getting speakers that they haven't seen before. So we just kind of try to shake it up. Yeah. So I listened in on the 945 with you, Spencer, mm-hmm. and actually I caught both of yours, and then 
right afterwards your eleven fifteen bow. And mm-hmm. aside from the the actual points that you both delivered, the same kind of points, I was surprised at how unique the message sounded. Like mm-hmm. you could, if you weren't paying attention, you could almost think it was completely different messages because of the unique perspective and points you guys brought to it, which I thought was interesting because you developed it together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had the same text. We used Matthew 6 and we didn't I don't think we even had any different scriptures no. than each other. But we, well, we put those together. Reference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we just have really different lives. I mm-hmm. mean, we're really different ages and we've been through different things and my illustrations this time since the message was on anxiety were primarily about my kind of becoming a widow and how it, that's affected me in terms of anxiety and Spencer's were about being a newlywed and so yeah, I think I think it's great because mm-hmm. we get a lot a wide diversity of examples. Is it just me or is anxiety <clears throat> one of the most easily ignored topics when it comes to the Christian hearing in the seat and then walking out and going out into life? Because you know we talk about you know big sins, you know sexual sins or addictions or habits. We can actually walk out and we can go, okay, well I need to stop doing this and whatever. A lot of times with me, because I did it just yesterday. I was I had a lot of anxiety about an issue that had come up in my life, and I was driving to my car, and I was like, man, I really just wanted to throw the entire weekend out the window really quickly. Like, yeah. oh, we just talked about this, and I'm not supposed to do it, but who cares? I mean, this is my feelings, and I'm just stressed out, and this is how we all operate, right? This is a yeah. normal thing. Is it? Is it maybe one of the most ignored things by all of us to say, well, that's fine, and that sounds great, and I appreciate you, Jesus, um, but this is something that happens to me. I'm not trying to go out and worry, you know? Yeah, I think more than anything, I was just thinking like our in our culture and day, we are the most wealthy, provided for, and just like taken care of people in the like history of I think God's church. Like you think about like how um, like we're not. I'm not stressed out about farmers being able to supply crops. You know, I'm not stressed out about war coming to my like city. Um, and just the amount of, of worry that dominates our culture when, when really it's like, I I got stressed out about something that's going to happen 35 years from now, AKA my retirement, not having enough money. And I was worried about that. It it just feels like it's just such a, and that's part of the reason I think we, we have it in subversive savior. Our series is because it is such a subversive idea to not worry and to not, um, be stressed about it. And something I love that Bo said in her message, and I wish I copied it and uh, plagiarized it, but um, was that worry is imagination gone wrong. I think that's how you said it, right, Bo? Yeah. And just that idea of it it is um, one of the hardest pieces of advice to apply, yet I think you look at the result of what Jesus wants for us, it's freedom. Yeah. You know, and I think what is the saddest thing is like, you know, you're acting like Gentiles, you're acting like people that don't have a God when you worry like that. So how do we combat this, Bo? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going out and saying, I'm going to worry today. You know, it's not like saying, hey, don't kill somebody. So, okay, well, I can control that a lot easier. You tell me, don't worry at all today. And well, well, that might just happen. So how do we combat worry in our everyday life? Yeah, well, I think that we, we gave six points in the message or seven points in the message. And a lot of them are setup points. Like, how do I set my life up so that I'm not addicted to something that causes anxiety when I can't have it. Mm, How do I set my life up so I have this interdependency on Jesus and I've learned to rest and I've learned to not just keep going and I'm not striving for public approval. And I mean, there are a lot of setup things that create anxiety. And so before we do those, it's hard to just say, okay, Jesus, fix the anxiety I feel because my life's out of whack. 
So I think making sure that we have the habits in place in our life that will at least, you know, as much as possible with you, do the things that lead to peace. And so I think that for me, I've had to learn how to set my life up for a a more stress-free living. And then with the stuff I can't deal with, I can't do anything about the Syrian crisis. I can't do anything about the things Mm. on the news that make me stressed Um, or things like in my world, people being mad or whatever. But I can trust Jesus with those things. And so in that setting your life up, that's where planning comes into play, right? Because like you reference retirement, that's something that you don't necessarily need to be anxious about, but you should also be planning for, right? We don't want to show up at, at retirement age and be like, oh, man, forgot about that. You know, So there has to be some element of planning. I mean, did Jesus allow for us to, to plan for the future? Yeah, as much as possible. As much as is possible, as it, it depends on you, then do what leads to peace. And I think the point that we made in the message this weekend was it's not that he's saying don't work. You don't have, that you don't have to work hard. He's saying you don't have to worry hard. And so, as long as you're saving with an eye toward this is creating peace in my life and this is good. But if I lose it, that doesn't. That's not going to take all my peace. This is saving money. This isn't just. It's not going to provide everything I need. I think it's a motivation issue. Mm-hmm. How much am I going to depend on that? What What do you say to the person who finds that worry is? stands on its own as a major issue. It's not driven because of there's all these issues happening or because I have an addiction in my life, but worry becomes that thing that they are addicted to. You know, it's, it's, they find, they find that they feel like they have purpose if they are worrying about their kids like crazy. That That's what makes yeah. them feel like they're being a good parent or they're worried about money all the time, anxious about it, but that makes them feel like they're in control. Yeah. It's like, um, thrill seekers. They only feel alive when there's a threat to their life. Mm. Then that makes them feel like, oh, I know I'm really living. I know something's really happening in my life. And I've been that person with fear before that I don't even feel real unless so there's got to be something to worry about. And I've just I've had to see a counselor about that. I've had to get some things mm. reconnected in my brain to build coping skills that make me even be able to go to the word and say, okay, help me reconnect this to your provision. And I loved what Spencer said when he said that Jesus provides like it's his job. I think that's such a, I keep going back to that line of like, he, he, I'm not the boss of my life. And so worrying isn't going to help. And I love that Psalm, um, unless the Lord builds the house, the watchman stays awake in vain, just sitting there and worrying and wishing the house would get built and all of that. And I'm just having to learn that in my life. And I think it's just day by day by day by day. You just have to keep building those thought patterns and, and letting your mind be conformed to Christ. How does this manifest itself in youth, Spencer? You're the youth pastor, so you're our resident expert on junior high and high school behavior. Um, Bo's had junior high and high schoolers, but she's that's that was a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Now that you kicked them all out of the nest mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're going to have an empty house weeks, and yeah. all that mm-hmm. stuff. Come on. It <laughs> feels like years. <laughs> <laughs> but does this manifest itself or how does it manifest itself even in our in our youth or young adults or, or junior hires? Do you see any of this present in their behavior already? Yeah, I think it, it, entirely it's a generational thing. I think when it was interesting, Bo sent me a list of the 10 things that people are stressed about. And I just randomly Googled like, you know, things that teenagers are stressed about. And it was almost entirely opposite. It was like what my peers think of me was highly mm-hmm. dominant. Um, and I think that's the social media age that you really see. And like what, again, I, I say this a lot, but what people tend to forget is who you are in social media is who you are in real life. Mm-hmm. And if you're, mo- you know, if you're bullying someone, if you are mocking someone online, 
um, people's perceptions of you really matter on social media because that's how they actually perceive you. And so there's not a lot of difference in like a generation removed when you haven't had social media forever. You can kind of differentiate that and distinguish that. But I think students worry so much more about what people think about them. They worry about their future because there's so much riding on their, you know, like especially high school thing, like getting into a good school. And there's just a lot of pressure that feels end gamey in their mind. You know, like I've had students that are like, I'm depressed because I think I'm going to fail. Yeah. And it's like, you're a four point straight a student and you're so consumed by this, you know? So I, I see that mostly in scholastic social media. Um, yeah. and then really just, uh, pressure parent, like parent pressure, mm. um, even whether it's there or not, because sometimes, you know, you talk to a kid and you're like, doesn't sound like that's anything normal outside right. of parents are just wanting the best for you and not like, you know, if you fail somehow, you're no longer their child. Yeah, so speaking of parents, Bo, tell me how to be a parent that doesn't worry. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of groups of people. And there's a lot of areas of my life where I've worried, you know, I've worried yeah. about this final or this baseball game and I come out on the other end of it and I'm like, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I yeah. worried ahead. I was anxious about it, but it was a game, you know, parenting is a little bit of a long-term thing. It's difficult. Uh-huh. You, aren't as in control as you would like to be. Tell me mm-hmm. how to be a parent that doesn't worry. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I don't I can't think of an area in my life that's harder than than trying to control and the, for me it really you would think that losing my husband would have made it so much worse, but it honestly made it better because not better, but it made it to this place <laughs> where I could say I I can't do it on my own. I have to trust that God loves them more than I do. And I have to trust that they're on their own path and they're going to get there in their time and he's going to shepherd them safely. And I'm going to keep praying, but I'm not going to constantly try to hover over the – and I'm, I've never been a big hoverer, but I have been a big worrier. So I just have had to be able to rely on him and just say, you've got to father these poor children. I don't know how else to do it. <laughs> these poor, poor kids. <laughs> In your message, you talk about Jesus references the birds of the air and mm-hmm. how many of them die. Well, all of them die. All that was a them. great line. Uh, wow, so the, great the, line. My favorite line. <laughs> what, I, what I took away from that, Bo, was that it's not that we're not worried because we just trust that nothing will ever go wrong. And, mm-hmm. and especially in your life, you've seen this, where things go horribly wrong. Yeah. But the point isn't just knowing that everything's going to be A-OK. It's, it's just knowing the dead end that worry leads us to. There's no, there's no benefit to yeah. anxiety. Yeah. And so it's not a, oh, I, I just trust that nothing will ever go wrong. It's something else. Yeah. And uh, trusting that he can see more than I can see is the big deal. And we talked about this a lot in teaching team, if you'll remember how we said we can't go out and promise people he's going to take care of you exactly the way you expected. Mm-hmm. It's going to go the way you thought. You are going to be fed all the stuff you need. You are going to get you know, you are going to get the job. Your kid is going to turn out exactly as you thought. We we just can't we can't promise that. He doesn't promise that. And I think we're guilty of that a lot from the platform, not us particularly, but of making promises that Jesus didn't. And he doesn't promise a life that goes well. In fact, he promises a life that doesn't. He promises in this world you will have trouble, but I'm going to be with you in the trouble. And so don't fear. Just don't. He he just says, don't fear. Don't do it. So we try to not. <laughs> we try to not fear. And we try to especially not fear fear because then that gets weird when you're like, I, I just can't fear. Then I'm a failure. But. And maybe some of that comes down to a lot more just teaching really well in context. You know, for instance, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, mm-hmm. you know, comes from a guy who 
saw his fair share of persecution and difficulty yeah, along the and way. In, yeah. And so a couple of verses later, it's like, and in 60 years, I'm going to take care of you. All right. Yeah. Not cool. Or, or even the, don't fear, I'll be with you always. And they're like, wait, didn't you just say you're leaving? Right. So, you know, there's I, it's yeah. like all this, this, yeah. but, this, yeah. but, and so the trust plays such a No, I'm actually really role. afraid. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll calm the storm for you. Hey, you guys, why were you so afraid? And then they were very much afraid mm-hmm. after that because they had been with Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. it can be, it can be difficult on both sides. It can be kind of scary when Jesus is there and you know him and you see him even there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what I'm drawing from this series more than anything is the, I think somebody talked about the duality of our thoughts when it comes to Jesus teaching and theology, that it's not just one way. He's not Mm -hmm. just saying one thing. It's not, oh, I'm going to feel one way when I follow Jesus, but there's these layers and levels. And so when Jesus is teaching these subversive, really difficult things, it's not just, you know, a, a surface level, this is the one thing I'm teaching. It's, we got to really follow him to understand it. We have to walk this out to kind of capture what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. No comment on that, huh? Man, that was so <laughs> that was good, good, Evan. Every I single time you come that. and you just go, bam! <laughs> Sometimes I wait for the pause so I can edit it out later. <laughs> so I don't want to jump Sorry, back in. No, sometimes, Evan, I just don't think we need hosts. I just want to hear you talk some more, and then yeah. we publish it on the podcast. Yeah. Go behind the Evan's M- mind. Yeah, maybe I message. should host more and talk less. <laughs> I don't know. You guys, what is one of the most ridiculous things that you feel like you've ever worried about? You got anything off the top of your oh, head? Oh, I have a thing, and it's all the time. Every time I'm on my way to a restaurant, I worry that there will be seats open. Every oh, time. I, because I hate, well, I hate waiting, and I, <laughs> I don't love killing time in the lobby with small talk with people I don't know. And so I always am like, where are we going to sit? Where's it going to be? I love reservations more than really? anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I've recently been really dealing with it. Like, stop it. Just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the dinner. It's going to be a good dinner. It's just what you're fine. But I, Has this happened a lot where you've showed up and you've been like, ah, no seats? Yeah, I live in Bend. <laughs> I live in Bend in the it summertime. summertime yeah. I just could try to get a brunch in this town. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Spencer. You probably have a better one. <laughs> uh, no, realistically, no. I just, I have a. <laughs> He's I, like, I don't have a sillier one. No. Uh, no I, I, it's so funny because I think about just the hypothetical things that I worry about, about like just scenarios that are likely. Very, 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 very likely never going to happen. Like, okay, somebody breaks into my house. You know, like, what am I going to do? Like, what if I had to fight off someone? Um, and it's just, I mean, maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't know. You're like, if someone came into my house and threatened my family, what would I do? Um, <laughs> but honestly, probably the silliest thing. Do you think thing, in that voice? <laughs> yeah, literally, it gets deeper. <laughs> the Liam Neeson like, voice. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle these As my muscles were rippling, like, I don't know what's going <laughs> on in your head. My hair off. was flowing. <laughs> yeah. Great to have that as a thinking voice until you go to preach. And then hear yourself played back and go, man, that message was oh, so much better wow. as Liam Neeson. Right now, right? <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's hopefully how I talk. Um, but you know, I just, I think about like, I worry about um, m- mostly just like efficiency, like using my time well. And, and it's just funny how I can waste so much of my day just like watching Netflix. But then the second that my time seems valuable to me. I get just worried that I'm wasting it. That's just silly because, you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll literally have my wife hop out of the car so she can go save us a seat at a restaurant. And it's like, okay, like I'm at the end of the day, I'm saving maybe four minutes of me trying to find a parking spot, but I'm like, honey, get out of the car, get out of the car, go. And she'll be like, what, what, what? And I'm like, just, just ridiculous <laughs> stuff like that, that you just are so fixated on. And 
And then as soon as you sit down at the restaurant, it's back to making a murderer on your phone. <laughs> right back to Netflix. <laughs> right on that. Right right on on I'm like, man, this just some alone time. The thing that creates the most anxiousness in my life, I've discovered that is more often than not benign, is the phrase, we need to talk. Or do you yeah. have a second? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike Alexander just did that to me. And he, mm-hmm. he said, hey, you, you have five minutes, so much I just want to talk about with you. And I was like... No, he said, can we talk about it in two hours when I come back from a yeah, thing? I was like, works. I have five minutes right now. I have five, ten, ten minutes right now. I have whatever you want right now. I'll clear my whole life for you. Just tell me what's going on. Tell me what's wrong. I hate it. My dad does that to me all the time. Hey, call me. Mm-hmm. You just want to talk about the Mariner game? That was all you want to talk about? Don't say it like that. Tell me you want to talk about baseball, yeah. and then yeah. the rest of my day won't be better. I my father's terrible at that. I mean, he'll just literally be like, um, I really need to talk to you about something. It's really important. And I'll be like listening to the message, and he'll be like, I just want to tell you that I love you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> love you too, Dad. That's <laughs> trolling. That's intentional right there. <laughs> and there's, they know. Dads have a way of knowing that like, if they just say, Hey, we should go, you know, my dad's always wanting to go to breakfast. We should go get breakfast. I probably won't respond to him for like a day and a half. But if he says, uh, can you call me when you have a second? I'll be like, oh, mm. crap. What happened? <laughs> Mom dad, got dad, hit by what's the car. Up? What's going on? You want to do breakfast? And then he has me on the phone. So, well played, dad. <laughs> well played. Well, now he knows for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't listen. <laughs> No one close to me in my life listens to this podcast, so it's safe. I can talk about anything. <laughs> but it's a decent example, even. I mean, that's and it, it's kind of silly because you know I know the results of most of those. Now I've had entire days or half days robbed from me mm-hmm. because there's nothing that I will think about, yeah. other than that moment, you mm-hmm. know. And and I think about that with you know when it comes to my kids sometimes or it comes to my family, you know, whatever. There's something going on, yeah. and it's just occupying my. It's occupying me every single moment of every day. My mind drifts. I'm not in any conversations, and that's really the the power of it. And I, I know it gets a lot more extreme than that when you are in some real dire circumstances. And so when you think about it that way, cause it's funny, you talk about this in church and we're not talking about again, habits or these incredible addictions or spiritual, whatever. We're seriously talking about worry, which sounds so benign on the surface. But mm-hmm. then when you find yourself immersed in it, it's there's toxic. not many things that are more disarming. Mm-hmm. And I've been in truly dire straits before I've, I've been in my worst case scenario and there was grace to go through it, but there's yeah. really not grace to worry about imaginative things. And so I feel mm. like when you when you just worry about silly things, you're on your own. But That's when good. you have to actually endure something, the Holy Spirit is there with you. Mm. But mm. gosh, you're on your own with the whole, I hope I get a seat at Portello thing. I mean. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah. And man, I, I, you think about just how often, too, I was like, I, I put so much stock and like, I wish I didn't have to worry about this. But then like, and there's like that quote from a pastor I mentioned, like when your lifestyle and your thought processes and the things that you choose to do are the things that create your anxiety and worry. Mm -hmm. It just, it almost feels like there's this like kind of personal responsibility to owning that. Like, like I shouldn't get, I got so stressed out about money because I was a money idiot. You know, I wouldn't, I would almost refuse to set a budget or I refuse to do this. And so I think even, asking the question, is this like a legitimate worry or is this something that's like just I, that I have any sort of say in? And it, again, it comes back to the, was it you both that shared that article with me that was like 40% of all our worries is entire, will never come to pass or something like that of what Maybe. people worry about. Um, but like, just like, I think it was like MIT or somebody like that did um, a study on this, but literally it's like 40% of people's worries like won't come to pass and 25% of it will be like something that's like completely imagined. 
Um, and in the sense of like, will never ever happen. And it's just, you think about how insane that is, but even like your personal responsibility that goes into your worries. A lot of times I think is overlooked when people are like, Oh, I have anxiety. I'm like, half the stuff you have anxiety about it, things that you have control over or things that you can just do something differently. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where, when Jesus says like, don't worry, it's not this, you know, ethereal, like philosophical, impossible thing to do, but it is saying like, all right, we need to take a, take a look at that for ourselves and examine that. I took behavior modification psychology in college and our professor, one of the first days went through this great big explanation of what behavior modification exactly is. And, so, you know, you can use it to improve behavior. You need to overcome this. You need to do that. And then toward the end, she said, but sometimes the best thing to do is not to modify the behavior, but just to move other objects. So for instance, if you keep stubbing your toe on the couch, it's not always necessary to find a new route in your living room. Sometimes you just need to move your couch, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like what you're talking about, right? With, well, I was a money idiot. I, I did these things. I kept the friends that mm-hmm. I'm worried about that are talking behind my back because they really are. And we've had dysfunctional. I insist mm-hmm. on keeping these three friends who even, they give me anxiety. Mm-hmm. They make me worry all the time. They're right. ruining my life, but I want them to be my friends. Sometimes we just got move the friends we got to move the couch a little bit sometimes you got to go to the doctor and find out what's wrong with you you know there are people that live in fear over a symptom or something but they're too afraid to find out if something's wrong or not and generally when you go you'll you'll the worry will be gone the source of your worry will actually be gone but your worry of that keeps you from it so i I like that that there are Mm -hmm. things we can change in our lives to worry less i was worried one night we were camping i was Laid awake worrying that the trees were going to fall down on us in the wind. <laughs> and I mean, yes. when you see the trees swaying back and oh, forth, sure, it's true. a legit fear. Yeah. But then you realize, like, they've probably swayed a lot in the last 200 years since, you know, they were <laughs> saplings or something. It's just things you really cannot control. I mean, we're going into territory of, like... Mm-hmm. The yeah, laws of nature. The laws of nature. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, a, that's always the thing is, like, you know, like people who really struggle with worry and anxiety, they always have that, what if it does? What if this does happen? And at some point, it's just like you can't say it like like zomb- like people have a legit fear of zombies. I mean, like, and it's like that's never going to happen. But what if it does? And it's like so at some point, you just have to kind of shut your mind off for a second and just be like, and and I think it's like sometimes we miss what's right in front of us or like the things that are good right in front of us. And I think um, it's like the first point we had was like worry just kills your happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think more than anything, that's why you need to kind of roll up your sleeves and really examine your life is because I'm like, just all the stuff that I'm just spending time on is just torpedoing any kind of joy or happiness I could have. I was really bummed you didn't have zombies in your message, by the way, Bo. That's true. That is a big, big, bad part of this entire, you know, split messages process. If I had a chance to go back, y'all, if I could do it all over again. (laughs) Bo, I loved your description of the bird that you encountered on your run. And how there is so much of worry that is a natural response for survival. Mm-hmm. And in that bird's brain, uh, everything's a threat. There's, yeah. no, there's no weighing, is this a threat? It's just everything's a threat. I'm just going to protect mm. no matter what. And we have to overcome that in our own lives. It's not a normal to worry. It's yeah. not unnatural to worry. But it's something we have to overcome. Yeah, because that's worrying like an animal. Because animals don't have prefrontal cortex. They can't tell the difference between big and little. And they just they only know fight yeah. or flight. And we have that too, which 
has been keeping us safe for a long time and keeps you, you know, that's what makes you grab the toddler when they're running out into the street. But um, we that that if that becomes our habitual way of responding to life, we'll we'll become people who are riddled with anxiety and can't enjoy a happy day ever. And sometimes we get there because I think it's just easier maybe to process in our brains. We want to become a little bit more like the bird, especially mm-hmm. after we get burned yeah. a few times in mm-hmm. relationships. We say, "Look, that's it. Mm-hmm. Everyone is bad." Because I'm tired of sifting through it. Yeah, I'm tired the, the, of trying. That's a trigger. The, mm-hmm. the, the way we form those enduring vulnerabilities that are just the triggers in our life. I, For me, that's medical stuff because we've been through a medical thing. And when it's a betrayal, then it's that. And it's like, I'll, I just will. I'll live in fight or flight in those certain areas. And somebody could be totally rational with their finances mm. and not have any fear about that. But then be totally balled up about you know, a, losing a relationship or some safety or something else. Hmm. Well, if I go camping this summer, you better believe it's going to be in an open field. No trees anywhere nearby. <laughs> on the beach. Just Mo- camp on the beach. Yeah, I'm moving the couch. I'm moving the couch. Now, the, I have perfect. a huge fear of what's in the ocean. Massive. Hmm. Scares me to death. I don't like going out. Casey was like, dude, we should go surfing sometime. I said, that's dumb. It's a death trap. <laughs> what are you afraid of? Kelp. I'm afraid of kelp. Sharks. Yeah. You know, people always bring that up. Well, you know, shark attacks are super rare. I'm like, I don't care. Seaweed. Yeah. Just uh, wrap around your ankles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, down there. it's guys, all horrifying. Have you guys uh, gone swimming in the ocean in dark water at night? No. Come on. Yeah. Why? That's the line I won't cross. I, I tried it once. And I'm like, nope. This. Nope. Nope. Uh-uh. Black water. No. <laughs> no. We were in Hawaii and we were snorkeling one time and the like sun was going down and it was just like so fixated on snorkeling that I'm like, it's getting really dark. And then like I poked my head up for a second and it was like dark, dark. And it was like, I mean, the sun was still like sort of up and I was like, oh god. And then I'm like looking. <laughs> around and i can't see like the big barnacle like things and i'm just like sitting there like oh dear god this is so (laughs) terrifying and but at the same time my heart was beating really fast and it was kind of fun but you know yeah the ocean the ocean's a powerful place and we are (laughs) turning back for one second (laughs) yeah although you have a very low liam neeson kind of voice spencer that's really good i didn't try i'll edit that piece out (laughs) you don't need to edit anything out evan (laughs) this is uncut evan Gosh, All right, fine. Podcast. Everyone can hear me talking. All now. the expletives, everything. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, do we even have time to talk about hypothetical Westside speaking team pairings? I mean, sure. Hit us. <laughs> what's, your, what's, what's your fantasy pair up? <laughs> I would. <laughs> It's the most unnecessary way to put that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you can't um, even say it. Goes along with ninety day fiance. I would yeah, actually think whatever. I would actually think a Casey Corey doubleheader would be kind of interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mm, delicious. <laughs> I don't feel like I don't feel like our speaking team is large enough to really have that many unique pairings, but. I don't know. Could. Like, someone could be pretty unique. I, I don't know. Like me and Bo is pretty. I mean, like you, you said, it was pretty, pretty different. Unique. Yeah, you guys don't have the same um, persona on stage by any means. So that's interesting. Not exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, we'll be back next week. Behind the message.org. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Okay,